Well, if you were with us last week, you know that uh, we began a journey. We're looking at this journey here that, uh, looking at a section, I invite you to open up your Bibles, if you would, to, uh, to uh, Psalm chapter 121. 121, sorry. 120 was last week. 120, 21, but as you know, we've been looking at this section of the Psalms, uh, Psalm 120 through 134, and looking at that um, in this journey that we're looking at. As we all know this, I think uh, there's 150 Psalms, in, and oftentimes those Psalms are called the, the Psalms of David, and of course not all of those Psalms are written by or attributed to David, uh, not written by David, but the, the, the Psalms, something I want us to, I, I guess that maybe we don't think about too much, is that the Psalms were, were basically um, Israel's hymn book. Uh, th these psalms, these were the things that they sang. They had different occasions in which they would pull these out and they would sing them. And, and, and some of you maybe have some of the backgrounds of uh, uh, different backgrounds of, of worship and, and things that you did in worship. And oftentimes we, you, you go through uh, different areas of scripture and, and stuff. And some of that's really good. Um, my point is that, that the psalmists or the psalms these were the things that they used to bring glory to God, to be reminded of the things that God did, to be, to to give honor to Him for all that stuff, and to be, re and to to also themselves, uh, to to realize the hope that they have because of this God, this great big God that they had, and and that it was just their hymn book, and uh, the particular psalms that we're going to be looking at are really called the, well, well they're called sometimes the Psalms of Ascent, they're sometimes called the Songs of of Ascent, and and uh, basically, they're, they're called that. I think that uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of, of, of understanding. Uh, scholars have looked at this and have seen that they're, they're the ones that when the, the Israelites would begin to take uh, their journey and they would head towards Jerusalem, they'd be going from wherever they would be going, uh, wherever they lived, heading up, uh, songs of ascent. Jerusalem was a higher point, so they're moving up towards the Jerusalem. I mean, you could be in the north and heading south. Think about that. I was thinking about this. You could be in the north and you could be heading south, but Jerusalem is still higher. And so they're heading up. So songs of ascent, and, and that's what they're doing. And, and, and they made that journey again from wherever they lived all the way up to Jerusalem. And as they climbed, as they ascended, they sang these particular songs. And they became, these, the psalms became their songs. And, and it became their travel music, if you will, as they journeyed. But these songs... Think about this. They would have been sung generation after generation. This, this trek that they made towards Jerusalem was an annual thing. It was a thing that they would make for these feasts that they were going to. And, and they would make that generation after generation after generation, all the way from, from, from the beginnings of, the, of, the, the, of, of that time to all the way up to the time of Jesus. I mean, it was just an annual thing. And over and over again, and you know, it, uh, they would... Um, well, I just kind of get this picture of, well, I think we can get it in a small sense. Uh, you know, this last week we saw this caravan of people, you know, heading from Honduras and, and Guatemala, and they're heading towards the Mexico. We found out that Friday they made it to the Mexico border. Yesterday I didn't watch the news, so I don't know if they made it through or what, what all that's about. But we... we so, but, but the, yeah, so, so the, the idea, though, is this caravan is, did you, did you watch that? Because it started out kind of small, and as they went, they kind of picked up people along the way, and they picked up more people, and pretty soon it's getting bigger, and it's getting bigger, and it's getting bigger, and it's getting bigger. 
Um, think about that in the lives of, of, of the Israelite people. They start out in the southern kingdom, and they start, they start moving towards Jerusalem, and they start, they start heading that way, and as they go, there's some other people that come along and travel with them, and they've got this group of people that um, are, are used to some friends. You, you're starting to see familiar faces with you, right? You're starting to see some people, and you begin as you get that group. All of a sudden, we can have church right out here as we're traveling, right? And we can begin to sing this so these songs of these songs of hope, these songs that just bring um, just so much uh, joy to our lives, or they bring hope to our lives. Um, and I, I guess that that um, I, I get that image in my head, and I think to myself, you know, it's, it's sort of like, well, here we go again, right? I mean, here we will out this year again, and here we go, and then it's it's time to make this journey once again. And, and I, I was reminded this week as I was doing that, I was think I was reminded of I don't know why. Willie Nelson, you know, you know, kind of like you, you can, can't you picture him, you know, we're on the road again, I can't wait to get on the road again, they're heading towards Jerusalem, you know, right, and uh, anyway, uh, I don't know how we could match that, but because the life I love is making music with my friends, you know, I just can't get wait to get on the road again, right, and it's, it's, it's this band of gypsies, they're, you know, we're going down the highway, or this well, it's this band of pilgrims. They're going down the highway. And as you see them in the distance and the crowd grows and it begins to come towards us, these, these are the songs that they're singing. These are the things that are on their lips. And generation after generation after generation sang these songs. And today we're going to look at Psalm 121. So I want you to look there if you haven't already. And I'm going to read, I'm actually going to be reading this from the English Standard Version. Um, and I hope that the reasons will become clear when we, when we get to this. Because I think that there's something, there's a word that is repeated over and over and over again that the NIV just doesn't pick up. But I think that will become clear to you a little bit later on. Um, it's the, 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 um, the, the words of the psalm, they don't change, but there's something that I think that will become clear as you see that. So I hope that if you have your NIV, you still read in that, but this is from the English Standard Version. And it's Psalm 121, listen as, as we read that. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now, one of the questions as we look at these Psalms of Ascent, and, and particularly in this Psalm here, Psalm 121, it's, it's not where the psalmist is looking, but actually, um, well, actually he tells us where he's looking, right? The question really becomes, what direction is he looking? And since they're called psalms of ascent, and since you always make your way to, up to Jerusalem, it, it's, it's certainly a natural assumption that the writer of, of this psalm is a part of a group that's doing just that, that that they're making their way to Jerusalem to celebrate at the temple. And, and, and that, that certainly may well, in fact, be true. And that's what I've told you is that, that that's what we're doing here. 
But what I really find interesting when I look at this one, this particular one, this second psalm that is in this collection in, in, in the fifth book of, this, of, of, of the psalms here, it's interesting in verse 8 where he says, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. He, he doesn't say you're coming in and you're going out. You're coming to Jerusalem and then going back home. It's your going out and you're coming in. In other words, it's possible, and I don't know, I really don't, but it's possible that at least in this particular song that, that he might be on his return journey home. That where behind him is the temple and, and all that is represented by the temple of, well, security and things like that. And, 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 and as he looks out at the hills and he anticipates leaving Jerusalem, he lifts his eyes up into the hills and he asks the question, where, where does my help come from? Now maybe he asks that question, you know, where does my help come from? Because he, he views the the hills simply as a place of blessing and safety. So, for example, in Psalm chapter 11, the psalmist says this. He says, In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to the mountain? In other words, why are you asking me to run away from this danger in which I find myself to go up to, that, to the mountains? I look I lift my eyes to the hills, uh, a place of security, a place of protection. And yet what the psalmist might be saying is this. I lift my eyes up to the hills to say, where does my help come from? Because the hills may not actually be for me a place of protection, but they may in fact be a place of danger. Uh, we, we're familiar with that that. The theme in the scripture, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. They went away, leaving him half dead. We're all familiar with the story of the, uh, of the Good Samaritan. And, and that's the journey. That's the, that's the place. And yet whether or not we see the hills as this place of protection, this place of, of security, or whether he sees them as a place of danger, here's the simple truth. He is looking in that direction. I lift up my eyes unto the hills. And then he asks the question, where does my help come from? Where does it come from? It's, it's really a good question, isn't it? Where does my help come from? It's a, it's a routine question, I think. It's a question that I oftentimes will ask myself. Where does my help come from? And maybe it's a question that you have or, or continue to ask yourself on your journey all of us, in fact, are in need of help. Would you agree with that? We all are in need of help. We've spent part of our service even just looking at the fact that there are times in our lives when we, we truly need help. And all of us are in need of, of more help than sometimes we are, are even willing to or care to admit or even realize. I mean, if we were to grab the mic over here the, and, and pass it around and we just ask people, you know, what is, what is it that you are asking God to help you with and, you know, what is it that you're wondering about the source of help for, in, in whatever it is that you're going through at this particular time? Well, we kind of did that, didn't we, during prayer time? But the question is, would we be honest enough to say that, you know, too often, especially when the wind is against us, when the wind is pouring in and it's flowing so hard, and it's, did you catch that wind last week? Yesterday. 
we're driving down the highway and it, you know you could feel it in the steering wheel you know the, the question is is that when the wind is against us and pushing against us are we tempted to look for help in the wrong places and to try to find the answer in someone or to find the answer in something that is unable to really truly help us well, lucky for us, because he answers his own question. Did you see that? In verse number two, uh, did, I read the, did I read it? No, I'm coming up. I'm reading it coming up. I didn't read it. Oh, yes, I did. I'm just making sure that you are able to, to kind of follow along. Hopefully, you've still got your Bibles open, because we're kind of, uh, we'll, we'll be looking at some of those, those verses again. He answers this question in, 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 in verse number two, so we don't really even have to wonder, you know, where our help comes from. He says, my help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. That's what he says. And then he adds, look what he adds there. The one who made, well, he says, who made the heaven, who made heaven and earth. That's who it is. He's the one. In other words, he's saying this. He says, my help comes if the, the hills are something that represents I don't know, longevity, or if, they, if, if the hills actually repre represent some sort of significance, some sort of lasting significance, I actually have my help, and, and it is founded, it is grounded in the one who made those hills. That's pretty powerful. My help comes from the Lord, the one who created everything. Uh, in fact, in, in, in it's, if you just look at all of this, the sun and the moon, look at all the, the pictures and the things that are, are mentioned in that psalm, the sun and the moon and, and all of creation and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter whether the gods of the suns and the gods of the moon or the gods of the hills or whatever. It doesn't matter. God is greater than all of that stuff. And so if, if there is something that I really need help with, here's what I need to understand. There is nothing that is beyond his scope. There is nothing that is beyond his reach. There is nothing that is beyond his understanding. There's nothing that is beyond his grasp. There is nothing that's beyond his power. There, there's nothing that is beyond his capability. He is an able God. He is an able God. He is, he is the God in, in, in Ephesians 4, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Um, I love actually, by the way, Ephesians 4, it's, it's uh, I, I, I forget how quite, it's like he's ably able in his ability. That, that one word, that's what it actually means in Ephesians 4. This is a God who is able to do immeasurably more. And it's, I, I couldn't help when I, was, when I was writing this and thinking about Nicole C. Mullins' song. My Redeemer lives. And some of the words to that song, it's just, they're just amazing. Listen to this. Do you, do you know the song? Do you guys sometimes, do you know the song? It's just to, to hear her sing it. But she says, who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? She says, who taught, who told the ocean that you can only come this far? Who showed the moon where to hide till evening. <clears throat> Whose words alone can catch a falling, falling star? And then in another verse she says, the very same God that spins things in orbit, he runs to the weary, to the worn and to the weak, and the same gentle hands that hold me when I'm broken, they conquered death 
to bring me victory. And then she sings, well, I know. I know that my Redeemer lives. And if you've ever heard her sing that song, I mean, it just, I'm just thinking about it. I get, sends chills down your spine. I mean, that, that, that this is the God that I travel with. This is the God who keeps me company. This is the God who, who guides me and he walks beside me and, and he wants to walk with you and me. So I think that, you know, you look at this psalm, and it's just an incredible song. And, and, and if you're tempted to ask, like the psalmist does, you know, you know where, do I, where do I go to? Where do I go? Where is it that I need to go in order to get some sort of help? Well, the, the psalmist answers his own question. He says, my help comes from the Lord. He's the, the maker of heaven and earth. And, well, interestingly, moving on from there, interestingly, between if you look at verses 2 and verse, three, verse, two and verse 3, there's kind of a shift that takes place here. He says, I lift my eyes to the hill. Where's my help coming from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. But then look at this. In verse number, uh, the, uh, in, in verse number three, he says, he will not let your foot be moved. And what he does there is, is something that is kind of neat because he moves from that first person, I, he, he moves from that to the second person saying, he, it's, you know, the question is, well, I look at that and I was like, who's he talking to? Right? We really don't know. It may be that the way that the psalm would have been sung was that, you know, sort of a worship leader sort of uh, would come out and, and would sing some, verse 1, you know, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And, and then he would begin to sing out to the, pers- to the people, you know, in that way. Maybe. Maybe that's what he did. Maybe he's talking to himself. Do you ever do that? How many of you guys have ever talked to yourself? <laughs> hey, I'm, the, the, first, the first step is admitting it. Yes, yes, that's good. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Um, what, what's the old adage? You know, if you're talking to yourself, make sure you don't answer back or you don't, uh, I don't know. I guess the, the thought is, is that don't, don't come up with a bunch of crazy, I don't know what it means. But maybe he's talking to himself. Maybe, I don't know. He, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And then he says, you know, let me just, I just need to have a little conversation with myself. He won't let your foot be moved. He will not let your foot, verse number three, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel, the keeper of all of God's people, will neither slumber nor sleep. I can't help but be just shifted right back to, I'll see if you, you guys maybe get, what do you think of when you think of God sleeping, the possibility of a God sleeping? Sorry, it was, it was clear in my mind. I, 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 my mind goes directly, it was, it was moment, it's just that quick, goes to this showdown between the, the, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel with Elijah and the living God, you know, God, uh, Elijah praying to the gods. And, and you, you remember that. It's Elijah begins to taunt these, these uh, prophets of Baal as they work themselves up into this terrible frenzy because there's just no response from this, this Baal to whom they made their, are making their appeal. And, and Elijah says to them in, in, in the context of a, a bunch of other things, he says to them, well, hey, maybe your God's asleep. 
Maybe, maybe you need to go in and wake him up, and you know, because he because he's nothing. He's no one. He can't hear. He can't see. He can't know. He can't do. He can't help. But he says to himself, "Now my help comes from the Lord. He create. He's the one who created the the heavens and the earth. He won't let my foot be moved. He's always available." To me, I don't know that we quite get the sense of this, because this is not just something. It's not that he's simply saying, you know, he never turns his phone off at night. You know, you've heard that before, right? Hey, give me a call anytime. I'm always available. If I don't get it, I'll call you back. No, that, that's not the sense of this. This is much more significant than that. It's saying he never sleeps. He never dozes off. He never slumbers. He, he may be called upon any time, in any place, in any circumstances. He is the one who hears. He, 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 and he not only hears, but he keeps. In fact, that, that verb to keep in verse number 3, in verse number 4, verse number 7, verse number 8, we find that verb there, and again, that's why I chose this translation, because of that word, to keep, because the NIV just kind of slump, uh, changes it a little bit to give it a little bit more flow, but it loses that, that, that incredible repetition in this verse, and, and, and repetition is so important in the Bible, and the reason that the psalmist repeats it here is, is so that we might understand, and, and that is that he keeps you, verse number three, that he keeps Israel, verse number four, that he is your keeper, verse number five, that the Lord will keep you, verse number seven. And it says that in verse number eight, it says that he'll keep your going out and your coming in. And what I think he seems to be saying is that you'll, you'll never even trip. I, I wonder, and I look at that and I thought, well, wait a minute, stop the music. Can that really be true? And what about this? He says, the, the, the sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. One commentator says, you know, what you have here in verse number 6 are a pair of opposites to include everything in between. Well, that's very helpful, right? The sun, he's saying you won't die of, of sunstroke somehow, nor will you get moonstroke. You know, the person traveling long distances under the pressures of fatigue and anxiety, there's this possibility of becoming emotionally ill, and, and we call it, well, we call it lunacy, which comes from the Latin word for moon. Isn't that incredible how the English language works? There's a reason why the word lunatic is in the dictionary. God, he says, the one who watches over me, he keeps me. He keeps me body, mind, soul, and spirit. He, he keeps me. And then finally, in verses number 7 and 8, he's describing this, the, the, the totality of our, of our human existence. He, he will keep you from all evil. He, he will keep your life. He'll keep your going out, your coming in. And I look at that and I go, well, what does that mean, right? What does he mean that he won't let your foot be moved. What does he mean that he will keep you from all evil? And it, it, it just seems to me like he's saying that, that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. But it can't mean that. 
I mean, because a lot of things do happen that are bad to us. A lot of bad things do happen to us. Uh, none of us, we know this, we're not exempt from troubles, from trials, from difficulties in life. Loved ones die. Sometimes we get sick. Businesses fail. Children disappoint us. Sometimes we, we, disappoint, we disappoint one another. And so when you read something like this, it, it just seems that, that it just does not match with our experience. So, how, so how, you look at it and you say, how do we understand it? How does this work? And, and I think what would really be helpful is for us to just kind of step back a little bit from this. Get the bigger picture of things. Stand further back and really take the Bible, take what the Bible says in the context of all of what the Bible reveals. And so I would, I would give you this, for example. We'll just take one illustration of this. Take, for example, ask the question of yourself, how would Joseph sing Psalm 121? Here's Joseph, thrown in a pit. He will not let your foot slip. How is this working for you, Joseph? Uh, how about this? Stripped naked, sold as a slave, he will keep you from all evil. Wow! Right? Sold to Potiphar in Egypt, despised by his, by his family. So what's the answer? Well, the answer is provided by Joseph himself when he greets his brother at the end. And he says, you know, you intended all of this stuff for evil. Do you remember the line? But God intended it for good. And all of a sudden we begin to understand that God is, is this God who is in complete control, even in the midst of evil, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of this bad and the difficult and all of these things, even in the midst of disappointment, even in the midst uh, uh, when we just don't understand what's going on, because from well, there's this different perspective that comes into play here. And it's this perspective that we get from all, from all of eternity. And we begin to understand that from the perspective of all of eternity, we know that evil and all of this is defeated. Isn't that right? From the perspective of, of, of eternity, evil itself will be, dis, dis, will be defeated. In fact, isn't that what the cross of Jesus Christ tells us? In fact, I would say that that's ultimately where we need to go. That is ultimately where our, our, our hope lies, is in the cross of Jesus Christ, where we, as, as Christian people, make him our everything, because that's where our hope lies. See, God will not let your foot be moved. He won't let your soul be lost. He, he knows what he's doing, and it's, and, 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 we, and it's at the cross of Jesus Christ that we begin to realize that. And, and so the answer, I think, for us is, 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 is for Christ just to become that everything to us. We need to come to that point where all we have is Jesus Christ, where he becomes our everything. See, I, you think about it. If my security, if my confidence is, is, is in my wealth, if my confidence is in my health, if my confidence is even in my wife, then if you take my wife and you take my health and you take my wealth, it just becomes a disaster. I mean, it just is. But if my security is in Jesus Christ, then it doesn't matter. It does not matter what you take from me. Why? 
because my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth because it is that in that context that we begin to understand that everything that is really real will actually last forever. He keeps me. That is just so incredible when you think about that. He keeps me. That, and, 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 well, we know this. God is so faithful to the promises of his word. Ultimately, ultimately, and ultimately to his promises. Ultimately, his promises are expressed in the saving work of Jesus Christ, from which we, we celebrate that when we have communion. Ultimately, his promises are expressed in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, they find their focus in Jesus. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And he is the maker of the heavens and earth. Let's pray together. Father, I think it's, it's so necessary for us to sometimes just take a step back just to recognize your, your amazingness. How big you are and how incredible you are. And, and God, you just have that ability that's beyond any ability. You're ably, able in your ability. to do incredible, extraordinary things beyond what we could even imagine. And God, I just pray that for each of us, I think of, of those who are going through trials right now. I know some of our families uh, uh, right now are just struggling with things in life that are hard. And I think, uh, you know, I think of Rachel right now and, and, and Irvin as they're heading to Michigan. And this is just a tough thing. Or just uh, some of these... Uh, the, the prayer requests that we've heard today of, of cancer and, and, and stopping treatments and, and not going to do treatments. And it just doesn't make sense, God, sometimes. And yet when we step back and we see what you are, we just understand that there's something bigger there. And we just need to trust in you and to be faithful to you. And I just pray that you help us to cling to you each and every day as we go through, through things in our lives and, and even in those times of joy that we acknowledge you, God. And to give credit where credit is due. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for being the God that keeps us. In Jesus' name.